My life has been crazy. And I'm strange. I'm just telling you up front, I'm strange. And growing up on a farm, nobody had any expectations of me. Most of my family have never been out of Coles County, southern Illinois. And when I was a boy, we didn't go to church. The first time I went to church, I was almost 17. And so we had a family reunion. Casey, Illinois, population 603. About 130 people there. And I just tied my brother up to a tree in the woods. And I was eight years old, and, you know, he'd hit me, and he deserved it. And My uncle stands up to say grace. We didn't say grace at our house. I didn't know what he was doing. And he looks around those 125, 130 people, and he called me up front. And I thought, they found out I tied up Rusty. <laughs> and he called me up front, and he stood me on a picnic table. I went back there last month and took a picture of the place. And he prophesied over my life. Now, I didn't know what a prophecy was, but my mom wrote it all down. And he said, when you become a teenager, you're going to come and know the Lord. And then you're going to become a pastor. And then you're going to go to over 30, na- 30 nations. In October, I hit number 33. And so it's amazing to me that God would go in, find somebody totally obscure, totally couldn't see, Came from a family where nobody had ever gone to college. And choose me. Because I really do consider myself to be one of the least. (laughs) Why would God go find a little farm kid that can't see in southern Illinois? So my life has been a very, very prophetic life. And Matthew 4, 4 says... Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So I live my life looking for and longing for the rhema word, the revealed word. And I live from word to word. It has so much life. Do you realize that the scripture, the Bible, is the only book in the planet that's alive? It's actually alive. And I talk to people and they go, oh, the words, I can't, I just, it's dry. Like, dry. Man, if you ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, you start reading the scripture. I, can, I preached one time out of one verse for three weeks. The scripture's not dry, it's alive. So I have a little saying, little word, little prophet. People come up to me all the time, do you have a word for me? I said, yes, read your Bible. <laughs> is that a good word, Dick? It's a good word. And so my life has just been like that. It's been prophetic all of these different times. So I was working at John Deere, and it was summertime. And remember, nothing runs. Thank you. Thank you. So I was working 18 hours a day and farming at night, saving up enough money to go to graduate school, to a mission school. And I was on a tractor at 3 a.m. cultivating, and I stopped out in the field and looked at the stars. Anybody ever done that? Isn't that glorious? And I'm looking at the stars, and the Lord spoke to me and said, go back to Orlando. It's where my parents were. He said, go back down there and marry Karen Thomas. I said, who's Karen Thomas? This is before the Internet. We were talking into tin cans with a string on it. And so I had a GTO. Yes. 
I was looking good. <laughs> Ran there. So I got in my car. I'd been working 18 hours a day. I had a huge wad of money. The Lord said, you can't go to Columbia Bible School. I want you to go back to Orlando. So I get back to Orlando, and I'm like, how do I find, in a city as big as Orlando, Karen Thomas? You put an ad out? What do you do? <laughs> so my friend said, hey, let's go to this missions conference over at this Methodist church tonight. And I'm thinking, I'm not, you're not dragging me to a Methodist church on a Sunday night. It's bad enough there on a Sunday morning. I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm not going there on a, a Sunday night, okay? And so he took me and we got there and they had these summer missionaries that had been on trips they're sharing and they went through three or four and they said, and the next one is Karen Thomas. I checked her out. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. What would you have done? Then I'm thinking, should I tell her now or wait? <laughs> and so I met her that night. I thought I should wait, <laughs> lest she say no. <laughs> and uh, that was in the early fall, and we got married in June. So my life has been a completely, totally prophetic life. I've been sent to countries all over the world where I get words about going to that country and then I get a prophetic invitation from somebody I don't know in that country and I go there and we see, we see Acts 2 happen. We see signs and wonders and miracles. And don't you love going to the nations? I love going to the nations. I just got back from Israel. And when we think about the things that we go through in our lives and the hard things that we go through in our lives, I met a man in a prayer line in Israel, a very, very old man. Looked a little bit like Dr. Ron. And um, had more hair, though. Anyway. That's what. Yeah. So, so this guy's in a prayer line. He comes up to me, and, and I got a word about his heart, and God wanted to heal his heart. And I prayed for him. You could feel the Holy Spirit, and, and all kinds of things began. He began to weep. And so I found him afterwards. Because on his wrist, he had the tattoo from the camps. And he was weeping in a corner. And so I found out that he had been going to synagogue. He'd migrated from Russia. He'd been going to the synagogue ever since he got to Israel for over 10 years. Couldn't find God. He told God that day that I'm going to go to one of these missionary churches and if I don't find you there, you don't exist. So he came to that church that night. God gives a word of knowledge. He finds that God is real. His heart got healed, and he got saved. And so when he tells me his story of the people that he lost in those camps, I've never been through anything of you. I mean, really? You guys have gone through a lot. You're Bears fans. I'm just saying, pastor was harassing me in the office about that. In my life, you know what? The Lord called me to plant a church, and I appealed to my pastor and elders about planting a church, and they said yes. And so they set up some chairs in the fellowship hall. They set up six chairs. They were in faith. 150 people showed up. I went from being a hero that's going to plant a church to a hobo in about 10 minutes. And things were said, and I mean, it was one of the hardest experiences of my life. 
Well, the week before that, my dad, we found out, had cancer. And so I left that position I'd had for 15 years, started a church with nothing, and did my dad's funeral. The day after the funeral was Sunday, and we started the church in the same chapel of the funeral home that I did my dad's funeral the day before. And I remember laying on my bed after I did my dad's funeral, and my body began to shake and vibrate. I was having a panic attack. There was too much stress. And I'm thinking, with my personality, you you don't have panic attacks. (laughs) But I did. And so we started our new church in a funeral home. People were dying to come. We really knew how to get down. The last service in the funeral home came out with a top hat and a shovel and a black coat and did a monologue. It was great. But we go through stuff in our lives and and, and we suffer losses. And when you suffer losses, we grieve those losses, don't we? And so when you think about weakness, God uses our weakness. Boy, does he use our weakness. And I want to show you a cup that the Lord told me to buy one time. I was at a garage sale. So I bought this chalice. Four dollars. And then after I got it, I said, Lord, why would you have me buy that? And then he told me to go to Nehemiah. Chapter one. And uh, verse 11, it says, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. And so I began to meditate on what was a cupbearer. Well, a cupbearer is the one who gets to eat the food or drink the wine before the king does to see if it's going to poison him, right? Who wants to be a cupbearer? And so I thought, Lord, why are you showing me this? And the Lord began to speak to me about the things I'd gone through in my life. I've been married for 38 years, had three children, and the world's most beautiful grandchildren. Over Christmas, my daughter got to come home from California. She just had a baby. We got to meet our new granddaughter for the first time. And in all this process of all that we've gone through in our lives, my wife has been sick for 22 years. Unable to travel with me. Can't go to the nations with me. Misdiagnosed so many times, we have spent tens of thousands of dollars. So one day I was complaining in the hearing of the Lord. Anybody ever been there? And the Lord said, that's your cup. I said, Lord, I don't really like this cup. Watching my wife suffer. So hard. Prayed for her a thousand times. Laid hands on her thousands of times, anointed with oil. Went to special healing services. Did everything I knew to do. And yet she suffered. So one day as I was complaining to the Lord, the Lord really spoke to me something I'll never forget. He said, now you understand my heart because I have a bride that's not well. It's called the church. And it gave me a heart for the church and for hurting people like I couldn't have gotten any other way. 
Do you remember Jesus in the garden? Do you remember what he said? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Is that what he said? Mark 16 says, if you drink anything deadly, it won't harm you. And you know what the test of 22 years has shown me? I can keep covenant. I can weep with those who weep. I've been so weak at times. And when I'm the weakest, God uses me the most. I have learned that the cup of suffering is a good cup. But I know other people who become bitter, angry. Come on. The church is full of people angry with God who won't admit it. Frustrated. They had expectations that God was going to do A, B, C, D. And God didn't do A, B, C, D. And so I, in faith, have believed God that all of these years, all these 22 years of praying and fasting and seeking the Lord and going through all these different events and all this stuff and the tens of thousands of dollars, you know what? Six weeks ago, before Christmas, I had a visitation from the Holy Spirit sitting in my living room. And for two or three hours, I couldn't move. I couldn't get up. And the Lord took out of my system the poison of all the stuff. And then my wife came in the room, and she could tell the presence of God was there, and she didn't know what to do. She just kind of stood there. And the Lord said, lay hands on your wife. And I laid hands on my wife and prayed over her, and something happened. Now, I've done that 10,000 times. Have you prayed for something and, and, and held on and held on? And, and you know what? Last night, my wife said to me, she said, my energy's returned. I feel like I'm 20. And something's happened. So I don't know what you've had to drink in your cup. I was ministering to a guy that was in Vietnam. And he was one of the most bitter men I'd ever met. And the reason he was bitter wasn't because of the war, not because he was drafted. He was bitter because his friends had been killed by friendly fire. In the church, we have friendly fire. Things happen, don't they? Didn't Jesus say it's inevitable that offenses will come? Guess what? You're going to get offended. If you haven't been offended, please pray for the rest of us. <laughs> right? And so we got to deal with this stuff, and we got to go through these things. One of my favorite passages is Exodus 15:22. It says, Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out in the wilderness of Shur. Moses said to the Lord, where are we going? He said, why are we going out in the wilderness? Moses said, sure. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And when they came to Marah, they couldn't drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Isn't it always interesting when people are mad at God, they take it out on their pastor? 
Laugh with a smile. Because it's true. If Ron and Marion could write down all the things that they've had to go through and that people have said and done. It was, it was bitter, so they grumbled. Why well, shall we drink? Then he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it in the waters. The waters became sweet. If you take the cross and insert it in any bitterness, the water can become sweet. You know what I had to do for 22 years? <laughs> of praying, of crying, of weeping. I had to keep going to the cross. Had to hold on to the promises of God. Not give up. And you know what? If the Lord never healed her, I'm still in covenant. Not going to let go. Going to hold on for all I'm worth. We suffer in the flesh, don't we? Whoever said that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life should have told you part B, Satan hates you. <laughs> Is it true? So I have an enemy that really hates me right now. We have a group of witches that have been doing some sacrifices on our property. We had a warlock show up and threaten me. Uh, we have all kinds of stuff going. But you know what? We've had a bunch of witches get saved. Then you have to ask, which one? <laughs> come on. Come on, Dick. Give me a smile. Come on, Dick. <laughs> Dick's way too serious on the front row, okay? <laughs> when you do deliverance, which old witch do you deal with? Ding dong. The, some of you remember that. <laughs> some of you are as old as I am. <laughs> you know, I like to read about people in the scripture because they're real. You remember Mephibosheth? He didn't do anything wrong. The enemy showed up. The maid's running with him, drops him. He's crippled the rest of his life. You think it affected him? Second Samuel 9, 8. Again, he prostrated himself before David and said, What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? It's quite a tale, isn't it? A dead dog. Guys, guys, work with me. Work with me. Listen, not even scriptural. He was a talebearer. So, so this guy, this guy sees himself with no self-esteem, bitter over the things of his youth. How many people have gone through things that wasn't their fault that happened to them in their youth? But Mephibosheth ended up eating at the king's table every night. What was that worth? So this past year, I have a couple in my church that helped start our church in my living room 25, 26 years ago. I spent the last year having to deal with them, and I had to exercise church discipline and remove them from our church. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do. It's not always easy, is it? I could tell you glorious stories of things that go on in the mission field. (laughs) But you know what? Humility 
comes through brokenness. I read a book recently where the author was talking about just really go after extreme humility. Think about extreme humility. But I've come to the point that I believe that all the poison, that of all the things that I could go through in my life, that the Lord drank the cup on my behalf. And none of the poison is going to kill me. I just keep learning from these situations. The Lord spoke to me in the middle of all the stuff we went through last year and says, you want to be a peacekeeper. I'm calling you to be a peacemaker. There's a difference between those two things. There really is. Sometimes you have to go through some war to have some peace, don't you? And so I'm trying to overcome. <laughs> okay. You wonder why you have a black rock. People suffer in the flesh. I'll tell you in a few moments. 1 Peter 4, 1 through, 2, 1 through 2. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of his time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Suffering, suffering, suffering. My grandma was in a coma for three months. And she lived 300 miles from me. It was a Saturday night, and the Lord said, go see Grandma. I said, why, Lord? He said, go see Grandma. So I got to the hospital at midnight or something, and I stayed there all night, and I knew her favorite hymns, and I sang to her. She's the only one in my family that lets me sing. She was in a coma. And, <laughs> and I ministered to her all night long. The doctor said she'd never open her eyes again. At 6 a.m., she opened her eyes, rolled her head over, and looked at me. She said, Joey, the Lord has spent all these months dealing with me about some bitterness I had toward my husband. About some bitterness that was in my soul. And I've repented. And I'm good with God now. Thank you for preparing me to go be with the Lord. I'm going to go now. She closed her eyes and she was gone. Why do people suffer in the flesh? You see, we're interested in being comfortable in this life. God's interested in getting you whole. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, I would that you be whole. Body, soul, and spirit. 3 John, I would that you'd prosper and be in good health, even as your So when you've got poison in your soul, you're going to contaminate other people. Many have died because they took communion without having repentance in their life, having unforgiveness in their heart. So when I think of all the things I've gone through in my life, I've gone through a few. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I love to go back and read the story. You know what it says about those guys? They wouldn't bow down, you know that, but it says the king... Turn the thermostat up seven times hotter than normal. The king took his strong men, his guards, and had them throw them in the fire. And the fire was so hot that the guards died by doing it. God may use the strong man to throw you into the fire, but God's in the fire. Because nobody wants to go into the fire by choice. 
So in the fire, what happened to those guys? They get unbound? Totally unbound, right? Nebuchadnezzar said, I see a fourth man like the Son of God, right? You find the Lord in the fire? I tell you, the more broken I become in this life, the more I find the Lord. The sweeter the fellowship. <laughs> and, and he has really, really had to help me with some of the things I've had to drink. They came out of the fire, and I love what it says, not a hair on their heads was singed. Their preciousness and their relationship with God. And the best thing was there was no smell on them. When I was two years old, our house out in the country, our farmhouse burned to the ground. And I remember my dad falling on his knees. He had six children. Threw his hands up in the air and says, what good does it do to work so hard? It'll all burn. Later on, when I was 11 or 12, three tornadoes came at our farm. Destroyed the barn, the equipment, all the crops. Jumped over our house for some reason and spared our house with all the kids in the basement. And I again saw my dad fall on his knees and cry out with a fist toward God, why have you abandoned me? People go through things in this life, don't they? I'd like to tell you that it took me 25 years of ministering to my dad. But my dad came into the kingdom, loved God, served God. But I'll tell you that abandonment, I have struggled with abandonment all of my life. Can you imagine being a pastor who struggles with abandonment? People never leave churches, do they? <laughs> I've struggled with rage. I've struggled with abandonment. I've struggled with so many things in my life. In Illinois, I was on a wrestling team in high school, and we won our state championship. And after I won my match, I go to the locker room. The coach grabs me and slams me into a locker. He's shaking me. And I'm thinking about, can I kill my coach? I had that much rage. He said, Warner, you're off the team. And I'm thinking, I just won you a national championship. What do you mean I'm off the team? He said, I'm tired of you. Do you know what you do? He said, you go out on that mat, you don't care who your opponent is. He said, if I didn't know better, I'd think you had a demon. I did. He said, and you don't even look at your opponent, you look up at the stands and you don't see your dad. He never came to a single match. And by the time you face your opponent, you don't care who he is, you're going to hurt him. I didn't win by points. I didn't win by pinning people. I won by hurting people. I broke noses, I broke a guy's elbow, I broke people's fingers. In love. <laughs> but I was full of poison and I was full of rage. And I had to get delivered. I was out of control. So after I got married, I discovered I had a problem. We had children and I couldn't show them love. I couldn't receive love. I'm saved. I'm in the ministry. But I couldn't receive the love of the Father. I battled and battled and battled. So one evening, my wife says, Hey, I got a babysitter for the weekend. Let's go to Daytona. You know, that's the place with the ocean and sand and there's waves and the sun. I'm trying to help you remember. So we get to Daytona, did something it never does. We're on the ocean front, it's beautiful, and then it starts raining. She's like, let's go to the mall. I'm like, I don't go to malls, I'm a man. 
Amen, men? Chickens. So she left and she went to the mall and I had a book I was reading, The Hunt for Red October. Great book, Clancy book. So I'm reading my book and the Lord said, I'm going to heal your emotions. And I knelt down next to the bed. I'd never cried in my life. And up on the wall, the Lord played a video of my life from the youngest of days. It went on for three hours. And all the events that I held in hurt and bitterness and anger, and I wept, and I wept, and I wept, and I was healed by the presence of God. I totally changed. My personality changed. I had so much love for my kids. It was unbelievable. I was so desperate because the week before the beach, I grabbed my three-year-old daughter, got so angry that I threw her across the room. I needed help. So we all have cups that we have to drink. We all have things that we go through. And how are you going to go into this next year if you're holding on to the things from the years gone by? Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeals, right? So my last story, and we'll be done, and we'll pray for people. A lady visited our church, and I'd never met her, and I went down to say hi to her, and as I'm approaching her, I got a word about her and her husband, a bunch of stuff, and never did get her name. A few months later, I get an email from Indonesia. She and her husband run a missions base. What she doesn't know is for 11 years, I've gotten five different words about Indonesia and working in Indonesia. So I went to Indonesia, and they had never experienced the Holy Spirit. And it was a missions base, 150 young people, and the fire of God fell, and it was unbelievable. But there was a young woman there, she was 18, and... and I kept looking at her, and the Lord kept telling me, you know, there's 17,000 islands in Indonesia or something like that. And the Lord said, she needs to go back to her island. And I kept telling her that. She kept weeping, said, I will not go. I will not go. And what had happened is when she was a young girl, her parents died. There were 12 brothers and sisters. And the head man of the islands made them his slaves. And he molested her. He did so many things to her. And I'm telling her, she needs to go back to that island. She and her brother made their own canoe and put out into the ocean. No idea where they were going to go. They ended up on the beach of another island in front of a hut where a couple, a missions couple, lived. They were taken in, and it's 10 years later, and now she's being ministered to by me. And the Spirit of God came on her. She forgave. The poison came out of her. And I get texts from her. She calls me PJ. PJ, at island, okay. Doesn't speak a lot of English. PJ got hut, got 30 orphans. Good. Next text. No sea head man. Very good. Right? So then she was up in the mountains, and the word came up in the mountains that the head man had died, and she's rejoicing. But she had just read about Elijah's servant and about the boy who died and how Elijah went up and laid on him. The Lord said, I want you to go pray for the dead man, the head man, to come back to life. She said, said, no, the Lord said, I thought you forgave him. She said, he's better off dead. The Spirit of God came on her. She ran down off the mountain. The guy had been dead almost 24 hours, and the Muslims, you have to be buried. And she did what Elijah did and laid herself on that guy. Did it twice and prayed over him, and he came back to life screaming because he was on the precipice of hell. 
She and the headman now have toured over 20 islands. Whole islands are getting saved. So you know what? I know we all go through stuff. But if you drink any deadly thing, if you'll insert the cross into your bitterness, and you know what? Forgiving, it's not an emotion. It's a choice. But it's not one choice. It's a thousand choices. I keep forgiving until I can bless and not curse. So when they come to my mind or I encounter them, there was a lady that spoke so many evil things about me in our city. It was unbelievable. And, and I'd really forgiven her and processed things. I was perfectly fine. And two weeks ago, we went into a restaurant. My wife's with me. And she looks across the room. She says, I see her face turn white. And I'm like, what? She said, she's here. Without even asking, I knew what she meant by she. You got some of those in your life? I said, great. I jumped over, went over where she was, slid into the booth next to her and said, how's it going? <laughs> I just love doing stuff like that. It's just so much fun, you know. <laughs> just told her, I miss you. I love you. And she just, she never did speak. We have this incredible thing in us called the Holy Spirit. All poison gets removed. The cross turns the bitter things to sweet things. You know, in James 5, it says if there's any sick among you, let call for the elders, you remember? And it says if they sinned, it'll be forgiven. That's a strange thing to attach to sickness, isn't it? You know, the word sick in that passage is not primarily talking about physical sickness. It's talking about the sickness of the soul. Do you know that through the laying on of hands and forgiving, people get physically, mentally, and emotionally healed? So tonight, Pastor Ron asked me to share some of my stories with you. I could tell you a lot more. I'm actually pretty normal now. <laughs> I only twitch when it drops below 30. <laughs> but we want to pray for you tonight. And tomorrow night, Rick and I will pray for more of you. Listen, no matter what Rick does tomorrow, boo him. If you knew how much abuse Rick has done in my life, I'm just telling you. But we want to pray for you tonight. I'm going to ask the elders to come. We're going to anoint you with oil. So we're going to do two things tonight. If you have never received a prophetic word, I want to pray for you. Do we have anybody like that? Slip your hands up. Okay. Here's the rules of the prophetic. I am not perfect. I'm not bad. Right, Dick? But not perfect. You have to ask yourself, does it bear witness to my spirit? Does it agree with the scripture and get it tested by authority? And if I get it wrong, just forgive me. Okay? I prophesied over tens of thousands of people, and I think I have six out of ten. I'm good now. I'm joking. I can tell you what you had for breakfast. Food. So I want to pray for the people that have never received prophetic words. Tomorrow night we'll be praying for a lot more of you. But if you are here tonight and you struggle with any kind of bitterness, you struggle with things from your past that you just can't seem to get free from, the scripture says, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you'll get healed. Is that what it says? Did you wake up this morning thinking, man, I'd like to confess my faults to somebody today? 
You know what? God gives grace to the humble. And some of you have, have stuff that's been holding on to you all of your days. It's time to get free and to get whole. Amen? So let's stand together. I'm going to ask some of the elders just to come over here on this side, please. They're going to anoint you and pray for you. You know, there's no question in my mind, there are some men here tonight that have an incredible amount of rage in their life. They hide it pretty well, but it pops out from time to time. Please don't try to deal with it yourself. You do need help. And then if you would like to, if you've never received a prophetic word and you'd like to, I'd like for you to come over here and I'd be glad to pray for you. All right, and just see what the Lord does. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word tonight. Father, we're grateful that we can insert the cross into our lives and that all bitterness has to go. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to humble ourselves and begin this year with some humility. Lord, just saying, I, I really do have some mean things. I just need to be healed. I'm going to choose to forgive. I'm going to choose to release. Lord, make me whole. It is the will of God that you be made whole. He who began the good work in you would complete it. And that was to make you whole. So we want to pray for you. So we're going to worship some, pray for some, and see what the Lord does. So if you've never received a prophetic word or if it's been a long time, I want you to come over here. I'm going to pray for you. If you need some healing in your life, I want you to come up.